Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 537. We got John C. Maxwell back with some more great stuff talking about how to develop and multiply leaders. You'll learn one, three simple questions that encourage growth. Two, why training programs don't work and what does. And three, what the most beloved leaders do differently. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep537 or expand the episode notes or description in your podcast app player here to do it that way. Now here's John's story. John C. Maxwell is the number one New York Times bestselling author, coach, and speaker who has sold more than 31 million books in five languages. He has been identified as the number one leader in business by the American Management Association and the most influential leadership expert in the world by Business Insider and Inc. Magazine. He's the founder of the John Maxwell Company, the John Maxwell Team, Equip, and the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation, organizations that have trained millions of leaders from every country in the world. A recipient of the Horatio Alger Award, as well as the Mother Teresa Prize for Global Peace and Leadership from the Luminary Leadership Network, Dr. Maxwell speaks each year to Fortune 500 companies, presidents of nations, and many of the world's top business leaders. He lives in South Florida. Big thanks to John for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's John. John, thanks so much for coming back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, it's great to be with you, Pete. Well, I'm excited to be chatting again. And first, I'm curious, did you end up getting some corkscrews made yeah. associated with the wedding gift? I knew you were going to ask me that. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, I flunked. I, That's dope. I, I love the idea. I'll tell you what, I love the idea. In fact, I told a couple of my team members, I'm going to do this. Put it aside. And then just kind of forgot about it. Uh, then you sent me, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago, an email and it jogged my mind. I thought, oh, I didn't do that. I sound like a procrastinator. I'm really not. But but then I kind of forgot what you had on it. I know it was from the, uh, the wedding feast uh, at Cana. And I, and I forgot, well, now what did he put on that? And I'm probably going to really ask you, could you get me one of those and I'll pay you for it? No, well, you, you don't have to pay me for it. Thank you. I will. And I'm happy to. And uh, you did not flunk. I imagine that <laughs> you had a lot of high priority stuff beyond uh, getting knickknacks engraved. <laughs> and so you have written a bundle of leadership books and you're not done yet. <laughs> you got another one here, The Leader's Greatest Return 
tell us sort of what's the big idea here and what made you think there's something that I have not yet said that needs to be recorded. Well, this is, a, I think, a, a kind of amusing story, Pete. I, uh, as you know, 25 years ago, I wrote uh, the book Developing the Leader Within You. And that book is what really put me on the leadership track as far as people looking at me and saying, this guy can teach me something about leadership. It was the first leadership book that basically came out that says you can develop yourself. Well, I followed that book up the next year with a book called Developing the Leaders Around You. Well, at the 25th anniversary, um, my publisher, uh, HarperCollins, said, John, could you, uh, could you do a, uh, could you do a kind of a revised edition of that? And I said, well, yeah, I, yeah, I'd, I'd be glad to. So I went back and looked at Developing the Leaders Around You. And I'd written it 25 years earlier. And boy, Pete, I was so discouraged. <laughs> to be honest with you, it wasn't any good. I mean, I looked at it. Well, I think that's a good sign if you look at your prior yeah. work and are kind of disgusted. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically 25 years. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's kind of like, oh, there's so little I knew back then, and I've learned so much more. So I started revising the book, and on chapter one, I didn't take anything out of the first book to, to revise, so I wrote a new chapter. And then I went to chapter two, and I think I took one story and a quote, and that's it. Third chapter, nothing at all. By the fourth chapter, I realized I'm not revising a book. I'm writing a new book because I just learned so much more about how do you develop leaders and people around you to to get on your leadership teams and and how do you really multiply yourself by this process? So uh, I, I called uh, you know Harper Collins and I said, hey, you know, let's just uh, let's just do a new book and and so we did and and I love the title, the leader's greatest return. And the reason I love that title is because I do believe it is any leader's greatest return is to develop other leaders because if you just have followers on your team, that's good. But and, and that adds, that adds. But if you really want to mul- multiply, if you really want to compound, Pete, you've really got to develop leaders who can go out and then develop other people. Also, leaders build the organization and grow it. And so it is the leader's greatest return. And that's how the book got written. It was supposed to be a revised edition, but my first edition didn't make the cut for revision. So I just wrote a new one. Well, this is fun in that the story of how the book came to be itself has some leadership lessons there in terms of the humility and the growing. And then I think in many ways that kind of puts you in a great, maybe feedback receptive mindset as a whole in terms of just as it's possible to look at something you've done yourself in the past and said, hmm, this could be a lot better. So too, is it possible to receive feedback from an outside source in the present and say, yes, indeed, it could be a lot better. And you may well agree your future self, I guess, looking uh, back. You know, Pia, you're exactly right. It is a leadership lesson in itself in the fact that as I look back on my past, I tell people if you can look back even five years and be really thoroughly satisfied with what you accomplished or what you did, you just probably are not growing like you could or should be because for me, you know, the pages on a book never change. And with that learning and growing, I'd love it if maybe you could highlight perhaps a lesson or two that you've done close to a 180 on in terms of, you know, I said this and I think maybe almost the opposite is closer to true. Oh, sure. sure. Well, it happens all the time. I, you know, I was at, I was being interviewed recently and somebody asked me um, what the greatest change in my leadership was. And I've gone through a lot of changes again, because if you're growing, you're just always changing. And so, um, as I said, as I thought about it for a moment, I, I thought, well, you know, I think the greatest change I've had in my life is that as a young leader, I was very um, directional, 
kind of top down. And I, I always knew where I wanted to go and I always had clarity and vision. So I'd say, okay, here's where we're going to go. Let's get on the team. And I'd rally the troops. And over the years, I realized that I was kind of leading by assumption. I was kind of assuming that everybody else kind of wanted to go where I was going and, and uh, be on the team, which was not true at all. And so I, I began to slowly uh, be less directional and, and, and start to ask more questions. And, and until today, I'm, I'm a, I, it's a total change. I, whereas I used to just kind of sit you down and say, okay, here's, here's what we're doing and here's where we're going and let's shake hands and uh, let's get going on it. And uh, now I just ask questions continually. I lead by asking questions. In fact, I wrote a book, I don't know, and maybe six or seven years ago called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. And and really that was the catalyst for helping me and helping others know that that really I lead now by sitting down with my team and finding out where they are. In fact, the statement I say is you have to find them before you can lead them. For for years I just I just I led them or I, I wanted them to find me and then and, and get on the team. And and so yeah, it's a it's a total change. And but that's what happens when you grow Every day I learn something new that I didn't know. But almost every day I've got to unlearn something that I embrace that just doesn't work anymore. Maybe it didn't even work when I embraced mm-hmm. it, but I didn't know any better. <laughs> and, and then and then I re, relearn. And, and, and one other quick thought on that, Pete. Every person needs to have a, a sense of uh, teachability uh, and learn not only from life, but to learn from others and let them speak into your heart and, and not only have an open door policy, but have an open ear policy. And uh, they're, they're, through through teachability and humility comes an awareness. And uh, awareness is huge in a person's life. I need to constantly be aware of uh, what I do well, what I don't do well, what I need to change. I was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was playing golf with Ed Bashan, who's the CEO of Delta. And so we're having a nice long leadership lunch afterwards, which was a lot better than the golf, trust me. And so mm-hmm. Ed with, you know, here's this incredible CEO of a major company and very successful, very successful, had a long-term relationship with him. But but Ed, Ed said, you know, I'm always asking my people uh, three things. What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to keep doing? And what do I need to start doing? And he said, those three simple questions just allow me as a leader to to be aware and and to and to and hear from others who who really do know more and uh, sometimes just uh, you know help me with my blind spots and I thought how how that's just simple anybody can do that what do, what do I need to stop doing start doing and 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 uh, keep doing and I thought I just love that but I think leaders are uh, the great leaders are continually um, growing and they're continually growing because they they want people to speak into their life and they're they have a an acute awareness of, of of what they don't yet know and have a great hunger to, you know, to learn and, and to, to get better. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so I'm right with you there. I think that totally adds up. And those are some handy, simple questions. So let's talk about multiplying leaders and how that is done. And maybe could you kick us off by sharing a, a cool story of an organization that has done this supremely well, like you've gotten to witness a transformation there? Well, I think that um, there are some companies that really have done this very well, Pete. And and I think Chick-fil-A uh, comes to mind right at the top. And the reason I think they've done it well is because they have a leadership culture. And I think developing leaders uh, begins with an attitude. 
and an environment that, that is conducive for leaders to, to grow, to learn, to practice leadership. Now, the way that, the way that people are developed by lead, as leaders is they have to practice leadership. So there has to be a, a time in your organization or your life where you, um, not only teach people how to lead, but you give them opportunity to lead and, and you empower them and, and you let them kind of run with the ball. And, uh, so I, I think Chick-fil-A is, just has such a leadership culture. They're constantly uh, pushing their people to grow, to learn, uh, to take on more responsibility, to have leadership experiences in their life. You know, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, one of my, my nonprofit organizations, Equip, we really work hard on helping countries do, uh, be transformed through values. And uh, we come in by the invitation of the president of the countries. We do it in little round tables of about six to eight people. And uh, so we're also doing it in schools. And, uh, you know, we have about a million and a half kids in junior high that are, that are going through these values lessons in, in the curriculum. It's not before school or after school. It's right in the regular curriculum. So one of the great things that's happened out of this, teaching leaders how to lead and creating a leadership environment and culture is that we, we have the kids do the facilitating of the roundtables, not the teachers. Oh, cool. So it's very peer led. It's very peer led. So I'm sitting with five of my schoolmates and, and, and this, this lesson is, is mine. So I facilitate it and help them go through the material that's written there and, and ask the questions. And then, you know, next week, uh, you know, Susan does that. And, and every week we, we go around the table and every, uh, every student gets a chance to, to, to lead. Well, what are we doing? We're letting them practice leadership. And one of the side benefits I know that's going to happen to all these countries that we're doing this leadership uh, teaching in the curriculum of schools is that they're going to find leaders. I, the leaders are going to find themselves kids, kids in junior high are, you know, going to all of a sudden have a conscious awareness that I like facilitating. I like helping people and, and leading them through a lesson. And, and so it, it the, the, any time an environment lets people practice leadership. They are then creating leaders. And I think that's a very important lesson because I think a lot of times we, we, uh, give assignments out and, and then that, you know, but, but we keep the leadership reins. And, and I think that's not wise. I think, the, you know, the, in this book, The Leader's Greatest Return is, is all about how do you empower people? How do you, how do you release them? How do you um, embrace them, even in their mistakes as they learn to lead until they really do understand what it is to lead? It's not a theory in their life. It's a practice. All right. Well, so I totally buy that. That makes sense to me. And so then I'd love to get your view then in terms of, is it sort of just everybody all the time that uh, we want to be engaging in leadership activities or are there some particular means by which you try to identify a subsegment of folks that you want to invest more greatly into. Yeah, I have a, I have a chapter in the book called, you know, uh, basically says invite people to the leadership table, which is the culture where leadership is discussed and, and uh, you hear other leaders talk about uh, leadership things, issues. Uh, and, and, and what I, what I think on this, Pete, is that it's very essential to let everybody have a shot. And so, you know, the, and it begins by uh, giving them um, more empowerment than what they would normally have at their job. So you take a receptions, for example. Um, 
I, I would I would sit with him or with her, and I would just sit to, and, and say, "Look, I, you know, greeting people, uh, coordinating appointments, etc. All this stuff is is the key to this job. But I also want you to know that you probably have within yourself some leadership potential, and what that means is that you're going to be able sometimes to." Uh, go beyond what a request is and and uh, be aware of perhaps a, a need beyond uh, beyond what's out there in that lobby and 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 it may come to the fact that you get have to make some decisions and 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 what you do is I found that you teach a person how to do their job well and then you start opening and broadening the parameters such as okay um, now that you've been out there in the as a receptionist for you know a couple months. Let's talk about the things that aren't working and the frustrations. And, and, and what I find is when they talk about that, almost always it's their inability to maybe make a decision that they have to go wait on somebody else to make or rely on someone else to make um, or, or just some common sense thing that they could have or should have done. And, and so it's out of what's not working that you begin to get the playing ground for developing leaders. And, and so when they say, well, you know, I, you know, so, you know, this person that came to, for an appointment, you know, they sat there for 30 minutes and, and, uh, you know, obviously the, there was a lateness to it. And so, well, okay, let's talk about that. When, when somebody has to wait that long and they're, we're having a little bit of miss on our side, what, what could you do that would kind of make it better for that person during that time? And, you know, well, maybe I go get him a cup of coffee. Done it. It's all this stuff. And so what you do that, I empower you go do that, you know, and it's on the house and, and, and it's, it's that kind of leadership, um, development of people that lets them practice leadership that lets them develop the leaders. Now, Pete, obviously there are some people that are just more gifted in this area than others. And so what happens is this, if you let everybody practice leadership, you very quickly learn the ones who perhaps have the highest aptitude for it. And, 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 mm-hmm. and that cream rises to the top. And now you're, you're looking at somebody and you're saying, okay, uh, you're a leader. Uh, let me give you an example. In, in one of the countries we work in is in Guatemala. And so we did leadership training for the second largest bank in the country. They have about 10,000 employees. And so we did these values roundtables for all the employees. The bank said all of our people will go through values roundtables. So I was recently down there and the CEO asked me to speak to about 2,000 of their clients. So they bring in their business clients and uh, the CEO said, uh, let, let me just share with you what's happened since we've done these values round tables. He said, three things have happened. He said, number one is he said, we've developed um, a leadership culture. And, and he said, what's happening is our our employees facilitate the round table. And he said, where at one time we had to go looking for leaders. Now they're popping up all the time. He said, we don't look for any leaders. Now, in fact, he said, we have, we have an excess of leaders because we're, we're seeing people that we didn't even know had leadership ability and they're facilitating these round tables really good and it's working. And then he said, because we, we you know, in the values we talk about integrity, he said, honesty and, and hard work has become part of the value system of our bank. And so our bottom line is better. And he said, the third thing is he said, they're taking these values home to their families that they're learning at work. And he said, it's changing their families. And, and I thought, how beautiful, how beautiful. But, but again, leaders were beginning to, uh, you know, arise on their own because they were given an opportunity to practice leadership. And that's, 
real essential in developing leaders. You just don't develop a leadership culture without giving people that kind of empowerment. Mm-hmm. Well, boy, you know, there's so much in there that I really dig. You know, it's funny when you talk about that story with the receptionist being empowered to get coffee and it's on the house, like it can seem like a small thing. But I remember my first normal paycheck job in high school was working at Kmart in the pantry. They called me Pantry Pete. And I was so excited in the in the training videos when they talked about how as Kmart employees, we've got the power to please. And so I could like, if we were out of the 24 pack of Pepsi, I could give them two 12 packs at the sort of sale price. I just thought that was so cool is that I had some sure, leeway sure. to do something to make someone's life better and they would be surprised and smile. And I, it just... It felt awesome. It was like my favorite thing to do when I was working at Kmart. That's a great example right there. And and, and it's from there um, that you began. Leaders will, um, they'll surface themselves, really. But they don't surface themselves if, if they don't have a an arena to practice that leadership. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about these roundtables, I mean, we don't need to go into every detail associated with how these are conducted. But I'd love it if you could give us just a, a bit of a rundown in terms of, so we got some values, we got some discussion questions and different people are facilitating. What are some of the other kind of key things that are happening here that leaders might try to integrate in their own organizations? Well, it's very exciting because in my equip organization for a 19 year period, we just train leaders around the world. And after nine years uh, or 19 years, we had trained uh, 6 million people. And uh, when that was complete, sat there and said, well, you know, let's have a party and celebrate, which we did. We, that's a pretty big accomplishment. And then I looked at him and I said, we're, we're really not done yet. Um, we, we've taught these leaders how to lead, but these trained leaders, there's another level of, of helping them become transformational. And, and transformational leaders uh, bring positive change into people's lives. It's, it, it's, it's more than how to lead. It, it's a, it, there's a, there's a positive transformation that happens in people's lives, and that comes through uh, learning and living out good values. And uh, so I said, let's let's develop a uh, transformational culture by teaching values, and, and let's do it in let's do it in um, let's do it in uh, small groups because that's again that's where it happens, where you can have interaction, where you can hear other people's story. It's it's highly experiential, which is very contagious. And so we we developed uh, uh, transformation. We call them transformation tables. We, we curriculum for adults, and 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 we go into a country and we go to the top leaders. We go to uh, the eight what we call the eight streams of influence, which is which is government, education, uh, media, arts, uh, sports, health, uh, religion, and business, and uh, we get permission from the top of those uh, areas in a country to do these round tables and we call it the waterfall effective. If the top buys into it, it just flows all the way down through the uh, company or the country. And so that's what we do. And, and our goal is Malcolm Gladwell talks about the tipping point. So our goal is to get 10% of the people in the country in these transformation tables. And it's just, it's just phenomenal. And what, what's happening, we have, I think, what is it? 1.3 million now in round tables and, and it keeps just multiplying and growing. But when people learn good values and then they begin to live them, 
what happens is they become more valuable to themselves and they become more valuable to their family and to their community. And there begins to be what we call a values lift in that community and in that culture. And so that's what we're going for. And again, it's it's all about developing uh, leaders and, and helping them to to do more than know how to lead, but to be people who whose lives have been changed, which begins to create a contagiousness that other people want to want to have that also. So that's kind of what we do, Pete. Mm-hmm. Well, a values lift sounds like a, a great thing <laughs> that uh, I'd love to see all around me. So. Could you maybe give us an example then of, all right, so here's what it might, you know, look, sound, feel like. Here's a value and here's um, some discussion questions and here's how that can really come to life for folks. Well, for example, in in Guatemala, that was the country we started first, then we're in Paraguay and Costa Rica. And then we have two more countries we'll launch into this year. But, um, But in these transformation tables, because the government is involved in it also, so uh, there was a a table that the attorney general was involved in. And so we're talking about values and and honesty, integrity are part of it. And uh, she, doing the round table, felt that, you know, there was a lot of corruption and dishonesty in the government. So she went through one uh, table and then she facilitated the second table, and while she was doing that, she she said, "Why, what, what, why am I facilitating this table when I'm, as an attorney general, not doing something about the government?" So, make a long story short, she began to prosecute people in government that were corrupt, and tried them in front of the Supreme Court. And eighteen months later, over three hundred of them were in prison. And well, that's, uh, uh, wow, that's including uh, the president. It's the only time a Latin American country has um, overthrown a, a leader because of uh, because of corruption, and uh, it just just began to play, make a major change in the country. And uh, it's you know that's a that's a big example. I mean, the little examples. I, I, a, a mother of a son who was in prison uh, went to the training of the values uh, table. And so she went to the warden and asked if she could do that with her son and a few of the inmates. He said yes. And so she started that that transformation table with them. And there are 16 values that they go through over a period of time. And, and uh, it just changed the the seven or eight uh, uh, inmates. And they were sharing with their, their other inmates about what they were doing. And to make a long story short, in two years, all the all the inmates in the prison plus the the guards were in these transformation tables and it was going, it had it, it, it come from a very um, kind of rowdy prison to kind of the model prison in, in the country because of, of, of what had happened. So again, it's, it's a values lift. And, and again, it's creating a leadership culture, which, you know, the late leader's greatest return is that's what it's all about. How do you and I create a leadership culture to raise up other leaders so that we can have a, a, a compounding uh, return on the things that we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I'd love to get your take on, so within these transformation tables and these values discussions, it seems noteworthy just how fruitful this is and that things are really you know taking root. And I guess I'm thinking about um, <laughs> my 
Michael Scott in the TV show, The Office, and how they had an ethics seminar. And I guess, you know, that's just a comedy, but I think it's quite common that these kinds of messages can go in one ear, out the other. What do you think makes it stick in terms of like folks are really adopting it and doing some things differently in their lives? What makes it stick is that when it's more than a training program, it's that sharing around a table yeah, that is experiential, that brings life change. Uh, so, and, 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 and nothing happens in a company, uh, Pete, unless the leaders are in, involved in, in the round table too. That's why we say you have to be in, I mean, the presidents of these countries are in these transformation tables. They're, they're all in it. Be, because nothing's worse than being in a company. And so my level of we're having some training on, on leadership or whatever it is, and all the executives aren't there. It's, it's kind of like, okay, you know, it's not that important or else they would be in the meeting also. And so you have to have what I call a, a connecting identifying factor to make it stick. And, and that's why the tables do such a better job than, than a lecture. And I taught, that's why, I, I mean, I devoted a whole chapter in the leader's greatest return on the leadership table. And what's it like to have people sit around the table and be able to get into leadership discussion and, and hear leaders ask questions and, and, and hear leadership thought. It, this all is what allows people to begin to develop themselves as a leader. Mm, yeah, that sounds perfect. That's the connecting identifying factor. And yes. so when folks are sharing experiences over time, then well, how big are these tables? Six to eight. All right, six to eight people. So I guess the way I'm thinking about it there is like, okay, well, in your first session, maybe only one person is bought in and does something and then they share it. And then they, by the next session, folks go, huh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> something happened there. All right, maybe this is worth paying a little more attention to. Yeah. And then you could just really get the juices flowing over time. Yeah, the buy-in is in the process. You know, so they sit around the table with their arms folded the first time saying, what are we doing here? And then when people begin to share and ask questions, it begins to get them involved. I mean, they're six or eight. You can't hide. If you're in a lecture hall, you can hide. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't hide. And so pretty soon it comes to you and, and, and you kind of got to do something about it. And then when you begin to see people having improvement in their life, it, it begins to be, uh, uh, it begins to be contagious. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned a concept I think is important. I want to make sure we give a, a few minutes to. So you distinguish between influence and control. Can you tell us, you know, what is that distinction and why is it important? Well, I think, you know, first of all, I teach that leadership is influence and uh, uh, nothing more, really nothing less. You know, I quoted you in an interview once. Someone <laughs> made me define leadership. I was in college okay, and okay. I was doing uh, like for the campus rec department had some sort of like leadership team building roles. Like, I want that. And they say, how would you find leadership? It's like, you know what? I'll, I'll take John C. Maxwell's. And they're like, all right. <laughs> I got the well, job. It's such a simple little, uh, definition, but it's so, it's so right on, it, you know, leadership is influence. And, 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 and uh, the difference is uh, influence is, is, is if I have influence with you, uh, it can either be controlling or it can be voluntary. Uh, if it's controlling, it's kind of like I'm the boss and I have a leadership position. And to be honest with you, Pete, you don't have any choice. You have to follow me. You follow me whether I can lead well or not. I mean, everybody listening to this podcast knows what it's like to have a bad boss. I mean, we all go back and say, oh, well, that was a nightmare. 
Well, why was it a nightmare? Because you had somebody in a leadership position that you had to follow that couldn't lead, but they had control. And so you, you never know if you can lead if people have to follow. I mean, it, you know, it's like prison when the warden gets up and says, you know, there are a thousand people here that came to see me. Well, they didn't have any choice. They, you know, they, they, they in fact, they'd like to break out if they could. So control is, is, is where I have no choice. The influence I'm talking about here is where I don't follow you because I have to, but I follow you because I want to. And why do I want to? Because you're a good leader, because you care for me, uh, because you're trustworthy, uh, hey, because you're competent. And, 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 and so, yeah, I want to be on your team because if I'm on your team, life's going to get a little bit better. So when I think of influence, uh, in fact, sometimes I'm with companies and they're saying, I've, I've got a, I've got three or four really key executives and I'm thinking about it, another leadership position and, and advancing one of the three. And, and they'll ask me, they'll say, what, what do you suggest as far as uh, who, who, you know, which what of the three I pick? And, and I say, why don't you give all three of them a, a volunteer project? Let Have all three of them go do something in their community that's pure volunteer and let them be in charge and, and, and just see how good they are with volunteers. Because if they can lead people who don't have to follow them, you found a good leader. And, and that's influence. That's not control at all. It's not relying on titles or positions to get what I want. I mean, how many times we've we heard the boss say, yeah, you do it because I said so. Okay. Oh, here we go. That's a great reason to do something. And, uh, so it's, it, it, the influence that we talk about in leadership and the influence we talk about in the, in the leader's greatest return is influence based upon your ability to connect with people and make things better for them, not because you have a title or a position, which is control. Mm hmm. OK, well, so that is a nice distinction. And then generally speaking, how do you recommend we grow about being more influential in our colleagues lives? Well, because I teach that leadership is influence, people many times will say, well, then how do I? Because it, if that's true and it is. The question is, how do I increase my influence? Because the more influence I increase, the better I am at that, the more people I can lead. And, and what I always say, it's very simple. There's a very simple path to increasing influence, and that is intentionally every day adding value to people. And uh, I, I encourage people to have this, this kind of a lifestyle that, you know, every morning, for example, in my life, every morning I ask myself one simple question. Okay, uh, how can I add value to people today? And who am I going to see? I mean, I, I mean, I sat down early this morning. I went through uh, the fact that I was going to be on a podcast with you, Pete, and, and the outside of the, the question of the wine court, outside of that, <laughs> uh, the question I wanted to ask is myself is how can I add value to Pete? Because you've got a great podcast. You help with an amazing amount of people, and you have a, a, a wonderful, wonderful work going. Well, I just want to add value to you. So that's very intentional. How you know? What do I say? How do I add value to you? Every morning, I just look at the people I'm going to meet and the schedule I'm going to have and what can I do to help, help, help people? And in the evening, I ask myself the same question and, you know, who did I add value to today? How, how did I do that? And uh, how can I do more of it? And it's, it's being intentional in adding value to people that increases your influence. You, you show me any person in any person's life that adds positive value in a continual basis to someone. And I, I promise you 
that that person has great influence with that individual. Why? Because that person intentionally makes life better for them. And, and, and they become very endeared to you and you, you, you want to be around them. So that's how you increase influence. And I'd love to get your view in terms of how can you add value? Now, in many ways, there's our thousands of different answers and ways that one can do that during the course of a day with the people that you're interacting with. Are there a few things that you notice that people can do just about all the time and they often don't? So how about start? Well, I think it starts with valuing people. That's the baseline. So when I start talking about increasing influence by adding value to people, I, I don't talk to them about, first of all, how to add value to people. I just ask them a very simple question. Do you value people? Because if you value people, now you'll begin to have a, a leaning, a bent to adding value to them. If you don't value people, you know, you, you won't add value to them. I mean, if you kind of value yourself but devalue other people, you, you've never, no one's ever added value to somebody that they don't value it. It makes no sense at all. So, you know, we start with the value people. And if the answer is yes there, then we help them become very intentional. And we, we teach them every day, every day, first of all, think of ways to add value to people. You know, look at your calendar. First of all, think of who who do I have the chance to add value to? I mean, I, I know who I get a chance to add value to today. They're on my on my schedule. So think about ways to add value to people. Then then when you're with them, look for ways to add value to people. And then every day, not only do those two things, but every day add value to people. Make sure you do some tangible action to where you can look and say, you know, I made that day my that day better for someone else. And then then what I do is I encourage others to add value to people. And it's just a, a, a continue adding value cycle. But foundational, it, it's foundational in leadership. Um, it's very foundational. I, I, I tell leaders all the time, when, when you stop loving people, stop leading them. Good Lord, you're a disaster. You're going mm-hmm. to hurt a lot of people because everything rises at falls, falls on leadership. And leaders that don't value people, um, can cause a lot of harm. And so it's, it's just very essential for that to be the core. If you truly value people, then you're going to, you're going to learn how to increase your influence by doing these things I just gave you. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about that mindset. I think some might say, Oh my gosh, that sounds exhausting. And I'm already overwhelmed with my own stuff. But then I think in practice, when I've been on a good hot streak of living that, it's actually much less stressful and more uplifting, energy-giving, joy-fueling to live that way. Oh, of course, of course. And, and, and I, 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 you know, it's a simple relationship course, but it's, 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 it just works like this. I mean, I can, I can teach relationships in one minute. It's not complicated, and it's very simple. I am either a plus in people's life or I'm a minus. It's just a fact. I'm every day either adding value to people, which puts me on the plus side, or every day I'm wanting people to add value to me, and I'm 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 sucking energy and air from them. And uh, if I'm constantly consumed about myself and making sure, hey, Peter, you know, boy, we're going to be together. I hope you do something really good for me today. And my gosh, you know, I, uh, you know, and it's all about me. Almost always, I'm I'm subtracting value from people. And, uh, you know, it's a fact that I think most people who even are a minus and subtract value from people, I, I think most of them are even unaware. They just aren't aware that 
that that that that you know that they that they are they are more concerned about what they reap than what they sow. You know, was it Robert Louis Stevenson said? He said, "I consider my day a success by the seeds that I've sown, not by the harvest I reap." Now that's an that's an added value statement, and basically uh, he was saying, "Every day I just intentionally sow seeds," and uh, because you see, what he knew was very true, and that is the harvest is automatic. Uh, but 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 sowing seeds is not. So you got to be intentional on the front end to get the fruit on the back end. And and many people they get up every day and they they ask a simple question. I wonder what what if something good's going to happen to me today. I wonder if somebody's going to be nice to me. I want you know. And, and it's all about people adding value to them. If if I am wanting people to add value to me more than I'm wanting to add value to people, I, I become a minus in relationships. And if I want to add value to people more than have people add value to me, I become a plus. It's that simple, and you just have to be that intentional. Mm, John, this is great stuff. I think we're in our last couple minutes. Tell me anything else you want to mention. Well, in the book, The Leader's Greatest Return, the reason I'm very excited about the book is there are a lot of leadership books out there, but there are very, very, very few books on how to develop other leaders. And there's a reason for that. Most people don't do it. 90% of all leaders don't develop other leaders. They just have followers. And, and the reason that they have followers instead of leaders is it's not easy to develop leaders. Leaders have a mind of their own. They're already in the game. And um, they, don't, they don't just fall in line. And I wrote the book because uh, the greatest return any person's going to have as a leader is not having you know a lot of followers. Because every time I, I develop another leader, it just begins to multiply and compound. And so I wrote a book, simple, practical, applicable, that a person can pick up and they say, okay, uh, leading leaders, developing leaders isn't the easiest thing I'm going to do, but it's the most worthwhile thing I could do. My good friend, Art Williams, who started Prime America, has a great statement. He said, he told people when they would join this company, he said, I, 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 I'm not telling you it's going to be easy, but I am telling you it's going to be worthwhile. And and this is what I wrote, uh, The Leader's Greatest Return. It's it's not easy, but it's going to be worthwhile, and it's going to give you a huge return. I know that because for 50 years, I've developed leaders, and uh, the compounding I'm having at my in my life now is ridiculously off the chart. But it's because I've consciously developed other people to lead and influence others. All right. John, this has been a treat. I wish you lots of luck in all of your leadership development adventures, you know, nation to nation and group to group. Thank you, friend. I so value uh, you and, and what you do for so many people. You, Pete, you're a plus in people's lives. You, Your podcast adds value to so many millions of people. And uh, so it's always a pleasure to be with you and to uh, hopefully add value to you and to your listeners. And uh Thank you again for your uh, help with my wine cork situation. But uh, <laughs> just thank you and uh, blessings. And hopefully uh, in the future, we'll be able to do it some more. Oh, thank you. Yes, you too. I love what John had to say about those groups associated with you take a topic and then you explore it in a small group. And then you have folks come back and share their experience with that. And over time, the momentum grows. And I think you could just apply that to, boy, just about any kind of transformation you're trying to apply in terms of living an organization's cultural values or trying to be 
more customer service friendly. We've heard this theme pop up in a number of times and it's well worth considering. Maybe you can integrate some of that content into your regular recurring weekly meeting with the team and see how if you want to get a behavior change, or you want something to take root and become alive, that could be a great way to do it. We think about it, we discuss it, and then we bring about life experiences, work experiences that are associated with living that thing. And so we all are enriched by the inspiration from other people doing it. I've done this with accountability groups and it's just been pretty cool to see. So it's great to hear John has been getting some huge results even on a national scale when he is integrating that approach that way. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F537. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest, Robin Dreek. He used to work for the FBI and he had to predict people's behavior and grow and build trust and persuade folks to commit treason. So he's got a few lessons to share about how we can build trust to be influential. Hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> Auto Trader.